Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and more productive beings. Hi, my name is Julia, and I'm your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it can make us better. I hope that the show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be. So here we go. humans and welcome to or welcome back to the being better podcast it is great to have you here with me and i hope your day is going great so far and i also hope that you are in the mood for some learning because there's so much to learn from this week's guest in this episode, you will hear my conversation with Anna Papuanu, but she also likes to go by Anna the Anxiety Coach, which I think has a nice ring to it. She has a degree in psychology, a diploma in counseling. She's also a professional breathwork guide and a certified nutrition and health coach. And she's so many more incredible things. Her own experiences with having an anxiety disorder and struggling with mental health combined with the experiences of the many people she has helped both make her a great source of advice on different ways we can achieve mental well-being. What I love about her approach is that she doesn't tie herself with only one practice and instead has a wide range of different techniques that help her clients overcome anxiety and other disorders. Anna can help you through improving your nutrition and gut health, also through practicing breath work and mindfulness practices, as well as, you know, the talk therapy that you might know from the conventional approaches. But I think the adjective conventional is definitely not a word that I would use to describe Anna. And for me, that's like one of the highest of the compliments I can give to people I admire. So in our discussion, we talked about her own experience with overcoming anxiety, stepping away from the traditional approaches, about the potential of psychedelics and the power of breath work, as well as the science behind it. We also discussed the gut-brain connection and why learning to say no and setting boundaries is so important. So as you can see, this episode is full of insights and I'm going to stop right here and let you enjoy Anna Papuanu. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anna. It's a pleasure to have you here and how are you feeling today? I'm feeling so good, Julia. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Super excited for our chat today. Yeah, me too. It's I have uh, it's a bit early, but I feel kind of energized. I feel like I have my coffee without having my coffee <laughs> with uh, this conversation. Um, but for those of the listeners who haven't had the chance to come across you yet, can you give us a brief? description of what you do, who you are, and just all of that jazz? 
Yeah, I'd love to. And I am very impressed by you being up so early to have this conversation as well. I think that's, I think that's called delirium when you have that energy without your coffee. But <laughs> my name, my name is Anna and I go by Anna, the anxiety coach, and I am an anxiety coach and counselor. I'm a qualified counselor um, and breathwork guide. So I created this position for myself because I was kind of frustrated with where the traditional methodologies and um, pathways were leading me when I was studying psychology. And as someone who had used the psychology system, like I wasn't impressed by what I found within that framework. So I decided to bring together all of my favorite parts, all of my favorite tools and techniques into a space in which I could kind of offer a much more holistic space for people to come and heal and overcome anxiety disorder. So anxiety coach, um, breathwork guide is something that I kind of gave myself and dubbed myself with that title as well. I love that. I love that you're Uh, were a bit disappointed with the traditional ways and I sometimes am too when I think that it is a lot of it is based on Freud's ideas and I think you know when I think about Freud I think about a guy who says that all of what we do is based on our need to you know have sex with our moms or our dads so I'm just like you know what that's maybe not a good system um okay So before we move on to all of my questions and the things that we're going to discuss today, let's stop right here and talk about the recommendation of this week, which is my personally favorite segment in which me or the guest, depends on if it's a solo episode or not, um, recommend something to the listeners, something that I say, usually I explain it as something that is fairly easily accessible to the listener, something they can touch or see or listen to, a book, a movie, a product or YouTube channel or an artist, just something that you think we can find valuable or, you know, just something that you recently found interesting. So just pick whatever you've been enjoying lately. Amazing. I love this question. And it, it got me thinking a lot because I am obsessed with knitting at the moment. And I like have absolutely fallen in love with just creating jumpers and knitting like my own things. And as someone who freaking hated knitting and doing things that were like really calming when I was younger. Now, as I've gotten older, like I've realized how much you need that space to think. So for me, knitting has become that really mindful activity, which I can't look at my phone. I can't think about anything else. I have to pay full attention to what I'm doing. Otherwise I stuff it up. So definitely my recommendation is to find a mindful activity that means that you can't look at your phone, that you have to be wholly present with what you're doing. And sometimes having something to do with your hands, like that tactile feeling, smelling, like doing activity is one of the best spaces in which you can do that. So it doesn't have to be knitting, but that's what I'm kind of obsessing over at the moment. Um, and my other recommendation that I do every single day is to ground your feet in the solid earth. So taking your shoes and socks off wiggling your toes around and getting your feet in the grass on the dirt on the sand wherever you are 
in the snow if it's snowing where you are, but to put your feet in the ground and to describe what that feels like because reconnecting to what tethers you to the earth is such an important daily practice that I cannot recommend enough for people. So they are my two recommendations for this week. I love that. So there are like call to actions. I love uh, these. With um, the knitting, I've what has got me through the worst part of lockdown for me was doing puzzles, jigsaw puzzles, and I've been just enjoying that. And I feel like it's like the same. You're doing this kind of repetitive thing, and it. it I don't know. I don't think a lot you when I do yeah. that and. I'm mindful at the same time and I do think it's kind of it's very good for my soul as well yeah. as you know uh, working barefoot yeah for sure and what's the what's the biggest puzzle that you completed during lockdown how many pieces actually I've just done um thousand pieces uh so it's like the basic ones to start with, but I just decided Crazy. that if, <laughs> That's I mean, the thousand, it takes you like two or three evenings. Yeah. It depends on how much time do you spend on it each evening. But I think it is just like, like the puzzle community would think like, oh, she's, you know, <laughs> uh, it's nothing. Um, I just decided not to take on uh, bigger ones because a, I don't have the space to. I would have to do it do it on the floor, and that would be really just bad because I would lose uh, the pieces and walk on it, and that would be bad. Um, and also, I just decided that if I d- took on bigger ones, then I would spend so much time and uh, even because that was like a Christmas time and I was like, okay, I now have some free time, but it is so engaging and I would, it literally, it just was the favorite time of my day sitting and doing these jigsaw puzzles and if I decided to take on bigger ones, then I would definitely keep on doing them after the Christmas break and I would not be able to get anything done because I would just want to sit down and do these things and even though I love to do them they are uh, it they can be very tempting and I am someone who is a kind of has an addictive personality when it comes to different things that are pleasurable for me so I know that I have to send some set some rules because if I picked up a very nice puzzle, then I could just spend my whole day doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I feel about knitting. Like I really have to draw some boundaries when it comes to knitting. Otherwise I will just sit there and do it all day and forget about all my other responsibilities just because it is yeah, like so engaging when you're doing it. Yeah. I feel like it's the sense of completion that you are, you know, you see your progress and it's so rewarding to do it because you're feeling, oh my God, I'm, I'm getting better and look at my progress. And I just, I feel like this is what is addicting uh, in that. It's one thing is, you know, the mindfulness aspect and the relaxing aspect of it. But for me, it's also like, I, I, I see myself getting better and that's what I think is so engaging uh, with it. 
Yeah, for sure. And as human beings, like we love ticking things off. So if you can see yourself getting better, if you can see something being built and growing in front of your eyes, it it definitely has the power to really draw you into that space and like completely yeah. block out everything else as well. So yeah, so it's in our deepest human qualities to do these things. Um, okay, so let's start from the beginning because someone once told me that a good place to start is the beginning so maybe maybe we should start there so I'm just curious about your life before you discovered breath work and decided to pursue psychology um can you just talk a bit about that how you know before you thought about nutrition and wellness and also, what first made you interested in in breath work? Because I think that it is a very new thing. I mean, it's a practice that probably has been with us since like generations and generations, but now it has become a bit more main mainstream. Um, so did you have any preconceived notions uh, on how that would be before you started? Yeah, like that's a big question. So I guess a good place to start is at the beginning and I, I'll i go back to where I kind of started my whole journey and I'll get to the breathwork part as well because my journey started when I was 10 years old. I was in a roller coaster accident. Um, it was the first time that I was tall enough to go on a roller coaster as a kid. And before that, I was like the most outgoing, most happy child that you could meet. I was super competitive. I loved playing sports. I loved meeting people. I would make friends super easily. And then there was a distinct kind of change and splitting in my personality after that experience that I'd had. I went into a really deep depression. I experienced anxiety first for the first time. And at 10 years old, I had never thought of mental health. I didn't know what mental health was. So for me, it was very confusing because I had just gone through this highly traumatic event that as a kid, no one's really explaining to you like what's going on medically. You see your doctors come in, doctors go out and you're just this end product that's sitting there being like, can I go home yet? And so that for me was like a life-changing experience because not only was I physically impacted, but mentally I came out a completely different person and had to figure out how to be a kid after having this really, really big experience that no other kid that I knew was going to even know how to relate to that experience. So that was really the start of my mental health care like journey in that I started to contemplate like who I was and what happiness was and why was I feeling different to who I felt before and like a lot of suicidal ideation because of there was just such tension going on within me through the, that period till I was about 23, there was just so much pressure that I put on myself to get back to who I was when that person had kind of been distorted and made into this larger than life figure that was no longer who I was anymore. So it was this constant chasing of my tail and for me, I, that frustration really, really grew until one point I really had to ask myself, like, 
is this what you want to do? Is it, is it too hard to go on living? Is it too hard to keep um, pretending that you're okay when you're clearly not? And when I asked myself that question that I found, like, I really wanted to live my life. I really wanted to do these things, but what I was currently doing wasn't working. I was seeing traditional talk therapists. I was going down that path and I just felt like I was going around and around and around in circles. And so I was like, okay, something has to change and I have to change. So for me, that started with learning about nutrition. I was studying psychology at the time um, and someone came in to do a lecture on gut health, the gut brain connection. And that to me was like a light bulb moment where I was like, no one's ever told me about this before. Like I'm sitting at home eating McDonald's and drinking chocolate milk every night. Like, of course, my brain's not going to be functioning the way that it should be. And so that was kind of the catalyst for me to just start looking outside of the box of what was put forward for me. And then when I was partially away on my journey already, I got to a point where I felt like I had created massive, massive change in my life, but I could feel myself pulling myself backwards all of the time. Like if you ever had that feeling where you're doing something scary and then you're like in the moment you're doing it. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 I shouldn't be doing this. And you try to go backwards. So it was just that constant tug of war. So for me, and this is how I found breath work. I took a really large dose of um, psychedelic mushrooms and I had an amazing trip. But for me, that whole experience was a really, really um, like pulling the wool back over my eyes and being able to see for the first time and being able to see that I was in control of my life and that I get to make decisions. And so after having that experience, I was like, how can I have this experience over and over again without having to use the aid of um, like a treatment like psychedelic mushrooms or anything else for that matter. And so I just started researching like a mad woman and I found um, holotropic breathwork, um, which is what I practice to a certain degree, but holotropic breathwork, you breathe for three hours. And the type of breathwork that I practice is conscious connected breathing in which you only breathe for 30 minutes. So it's much more accessible for people to use that, but the experience is the same. Like you come home to yourself and that experience to be able to give people and give myself that experience over and over again. If you're ever feeling untethered, if you're ever feeling like you're kind of floating above your head or not thinking clearly to be able to bring yourself back into your body and to know that this is the safest space for you to operate in and that you can actually control outcomes when you're wholly within your self is such a beautiful experience. So that was how I found breath work. And it was a later on in my journey of my mental health journey. But if all of these other things didn't happen in my life, then I wouldn't have ever found breath work. And I never would have bothered to try and find different practices that can really give people such a different experience than having to talk about their um, their mental health issues in the first place as well, which I think is a huge thing that's going on at the moment in which we can move away from that is much more helpful for people to seek support in a different space. I love how you said that breath work is coming home to yourself. Um, I really like I don't know, it kind of works on my imagination because I kind of feel the same. Like when I meditate, when I do yoga, it's it's like coming home. 
And I'm curious about um, your experience with psychedelics because I know that there are very, it's a very um, it's a big topic these days. And I'm curious because I personally don't have a lot of experience. I never done anything um, with them, but I've heard a lot of people on podcasts talk about the potential that can that is in in psychedelics that can help a lot of people uh, with addiction and eating disorders or depression and. What do you what do you think about that since you have your experience that allowed you to discover breath breathwork but on the other hand you decided to search for the same experience but without the psychedelics so do you think that there really is the potential to cure these different mental health illnesses Yeah it's an interesting question because I think the potential of psychedelics is um something that we we're, we're only just really getting behind and that's really exciting to me like I am very much for um, a bit of a revolution when it comes to how we use mental health care and anything that changes that script and gives people another opportunity to try something else that could be life-changing I'm all for and the efficacy and safety of psychedelics is really important as well so it's been proven time and time again that they can be very very safe when you have the right set and setting and they can be truly transformational so for me I think that there's huge potential for them to and cure is a weird word I don't think we want to cure people because I think it's almost having this awakening or and and that sounds cliched but a realization about the we're constantly giving away our power. We're constantly thinking that everything's outside of our control. And when like, and from my psychedelic experiences and the spirit experiences that I hear other people talk about, you take back that control and you see yourself as the driver in your life. And so the most kind of profound thing that happened in my experience was in my relationship with my husband. At that point in time, I was making myself kind of question everything like is this real all of the like trying to make myself feel less worthy and whilst I was having my experience I had this realization like you are the only person that is making you unhappy right now you are the only person that is creating this thought pattern that doesn't actually exist it's not real and I am also the one that can change that narrative that's going on in my head as well and so that was so profound for me because logically you can think that in like a very um like sober state of mind but when you remove your kind of critical thinking aspect and you remove a bit of your ego from that it sits so much deeper in your brain that you when you come back to you're like okay I know exactly what I'm doing. And when I have these negative thought patterns or when I have these um, kind of lies that I conjure up in my own mind, which is super common with depression, anxieties, we're always thinking these negative things, right? But when we, when you come back to, you have more power to question what is real and what is not real, because sometimes it feels real. And sometimes we, we can tell ourselves all sorts of lies that we think are real, but they're not real. Um, so that to me is a huge, huge step in the right direction. And, and for anyone 
And also I just need to say, like, I don't condone people taking illicit substances, but for me, that's a huge thing that I support um, like a hundred percent. I think that more research, more opportunity for people to have access to things that, um, especially when they feel like they've tried everything and nothing's worked. Like if, if you give someone that glimmer of hope and you give them the right environment, the right people around them, everyone can thrive. And if psychedelics offer that, that, that space for someone to grow into, then I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we as human beings have a responsibility to bring forth into this world. Um, Having said that, I don't think everyone necessarily needs to or should do psychedelics. And it's always um, certain precautions that need to be taken. And it's never something that I think should be forced or like prescribed it should solely be the person's choice and voluntarily to do those sorts of things um because it's a journey it's a huge journey that you go on um so yeah I'm super excited about all of the the um like upgrades and new science that's coming out around psychedelics because I think it's a it's a really exciting frontier that we're moving forward in absolutely I think that we with mainly with psychedelics, if with other things too, have a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes and our fears. And I think to really understand and to benefit from using them, we have to make sure that we are dealing with these completely stupid fears because um, these are things that are natural plants that have these substances and sure everything in moderation but I don't think with you know with making sure that we are using the right doses I don't think it can be as more dangerous than you know alcohol you know those are things that we from generations and thousands of years we used them as humans and they can be used just with people who know what they're doing and with microdosing or whatever it is that 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 the patient needs and i completely understand when people where people come from when they are scared of these substances um but to fully get the benefits and the whole potential of these things we have to come to them with an open mind and forget about these fears that we you know have met someone who was addicted to substances before and that's what everyone is going to be like so I think this is all very important to talk about and thank you so much for sharing your opinions on that and I love how you you do, you know, have an open mind with these things. And I guess that's um, also why you decided to step away from these traditional methods. But can you speak a little bit more uh, about what you thought was missing in um, these traditional approaches to mental well-being? And um, what have you found um, that was missing there in in other in other uh, ways yeah for sure I think so first and foremost from my own experience of going to talk therapy it always felt super clinical to me as in you would go in there you were the patient and 
that in and of its own right made me feel more like something was wrong with me. I felt like I was terribly broken and I had to go and see this clinician to talk to and to do like to go and have sessions like in Australia we have um, a system where you go and get a mental health care plan and you can go to a psychologist or um, therapist for 10 10 sessions Um, and it's a difficult space to be in first and foremost to go to a GP who is not trained in mental health and for them to ask you all of these personal questions about your mental health um, it's you're incredibly vulnerable in that space and it's really it's a barrier for entry in the first place the second part of of traditional therapies is I had told my story a billion times to so many different people and the constant talking about what had happened, what went wrong, what I did, what, who said what, all of those things, I would come out feeling so distraught and so upset and I honestly, I, I would come out feeling way worse than when I went in and it wasn't because the person wasn't doing their job well, but it was because I just felt like I was hitting my head against the wall over and over again. And I was never coming out of a session with, um, something to hold on to, like something to do, like walking away from that being like, okay, I know what my next step is to move me out of this space. I never had something tangible to hold on to. And that for me, and maybe like I'm in isolation, but I don't believe I am because that's why I I find success in my coaching business is that people like it when they have something to do about their problems. If you just go and talk to someone and then you come away, like, yeah, you might feel a little bit less burdened about what was going on internally, but you also are still the same person. You still have those same thoughts. You still have the same stories. Like they might've been reframed slightly, but without having something to shift who you are and what you're doing in your life, it's really frustrating to go around and around in circles. And like, kind of like what you were talking about before with Freud, when I was studying psychology, I was reading some of these kind of theories and uh, methods. And I was like, this feels very outdated. And we, we haven't really put the psychological sciences under a like microscope in a long time. Like we found something that was beneficial in um, CBT and talk therapies. But since then, where's the innovation? Where's the moving forward? Where's the change of like how we're helping people and supporting people? It's been very much the same track playing since its inception and since we created kind of this space in which we had psychological sciences. And so As someone who I guess I kind of like to see myself as a bit of a rebel, I felt pretty suffocated by being in that space. And for me, I then coupled that with my own experience. And I was like, that's not really the path that I want to forge in my own life. It's not really the service that I want to provide for other people. And so breathwork was one of those things that I found that I realized was a real, and using in my own life was a really powerful tool. And it wasn't until later on that I brought that into the coaching space. But the reason why I decided to go down the coaching path was because humans relate to humans. Humans relate to human stories. And when you're a clinician, you can't share 
your own story. It's, it's, you have too much red tape and too many guidelines and, and too many things put on you that you can't really divulge even information that's going to help someone else feel seen. And I was recently doing um, some studying on somatic experiencing and they were talking about healing happens when someone feels felt. So when you feel felt by someone else, when you they understand what you are experiencing on a different level to just saying like, oh, I know what you're going through. When you can really feel that someone else understands how you are feeling, then so much growth and healing happens. But that only comes when we connect through people's stories. So for me, coaching is a much more collaborative space. It's a conversation. It's a constant back and forth. It's not one person talking at the other person. It's a, like I said, it's a conversation. So we're constantly allowing to ebb and flow with how whatever's coming up for the client, but also being able to say like, yeah, I see you and I have had this experience as well. Would you like me to share that so that you can see that you're not alone in this journey as well? And I think that's a huge, huge difference when it comes to uh, traditional talk therapies and coaching, but also being able to like bring and like mush in all of the different types of things that I enjoy, breathwork, EFT, um, somatic experiencing, CBT, like traditional talk therapies, all of those things and bring them into one place gives me so many tools that I can go like, yeah, okay, this, this is what I think is going to work for you. Or this, I think would work a bit better for you. Like you're not tied down to just one track all of the time. And it means that I'm constantly learning and growing. And it also means that I learn from my clients as well. If they mention something and I go, oh, what's that? Then I can go off and research that and see if that's something that I also want to bring into my space as well. And so it's to me, the ever evolving nature of being able to constantly change and grow is so important when people are constantly changing and growing around you and to not stay the same is really really important to me because we are all different people to who we were yesterday and if I showed up every single day saying the same thing or asking the same questions then it'll get old pretty quickly and so that is why I love the coaching space and love being able to pick and choose what I do and don't use in my coaching world because that that to me feels like so much more um, transformative and, and growth driven than being stuck in a in a one path kind of space on the flip side of that as well. Yeah, to each their own. You know, people have different needs and different techniques will help them. And yeah, I think it's so, so interesting that yeah, you have more tools in your basket, I guess, and you can help more people with that. Um, but I would say that a breath work coach or an anxiety coach are not job titles that we, a lot of us, I think, have heard of before. And I think what you do is so interesting and also so important. And I think it's important because having more professionals in that area, professionals like you, can help so many people and can be life-changing and maybe even life-saving for so many people. Um, so can you explain more about this profession and also how your process of working with clients looks like as 
an anxiety coach, as a breathwork coach. And what maybe if you can share are some of your favorite stories of the people that you have helped? For sure. I like, it's so hard to explain because it does change so often. But for me, I have really moved from Um, And it's really interesting even thinking about it now from where I was when I started my business to where I am now, because I started off just doing working on gut health around anxiety, whereas now I've moved more towards um, like somatic experiencing, which is physical body, using your physiological body to process and release emotions. And I think breath work really ties into that, but also understanding that as human beings, we Uh, create massive, massive safety when we really honor that our body knows how to be scared and what actions to take from that space. And when we suppress those emotions, when we suppress that process, we create kind of fractures internally. So a lot of the time, if you're out with your friends and you start feeling anxious, we don't sit with the anxiety and go like, okay, I'm just going to like let this flow through my body and just really feel what it feels like and try to understand, okay, like what's going on physiologically. Like we don't do that. We go, not today. I don't want to feel anxious. And we try to push it down into like a dark little corner so that we don't have to feel anxious when we're out with our friends. So when we do that, we create all these little fractures and tears internally. And so I, I see my job as an anxiety coach and breathwork guide to kind of use if you've ever imagined the Japanese like art of um, I think it's called kintsugi where they they get that golden um, p- kind of paste and they repair like vases and stuff so that and that it's said to be that it's more beautiful once they've repaired it with all this golden kind of paste sticking it back together and so that's kind of how I view what coaching is it's not seeing someone as broken or that they need fixing, but bringing together all of the parts of themselves that they've created fractures and tears within internally. And so when we do that, we start to incorporate the mind and the body in a way that hasn't been used before. So how can we move our body in a way that's going to actually help release and process emotions? What do we naturally use as our survival resources and how can we move to more um, other personal resources that are going to create massive safety? So when people come to me to work with me, we work very much on building up our personal resources. So we have creative resources, boundary resources, somatic resources, um, all of these different types of resources that are waiting to be used so that we can move away from our survival resources. So we're kind of stuck in this survival loop and we want to start to create much more safety internally and externally by using more of what we're good at, right? So finding our strengths and building upon those, but also kind of kissing old wounds and saying that it's okay, like I see you and I I thank you for being there and a part of who I am because I wouldn't be alive if I hadn't have thought those things or I wouldn't feel the way that I do now if I hadn't have thought those things or that thing hadn't happened to me. So really bringing together that space so that people can actually have the tools that when things pop up, they can reach into their back pocket and actually do something about it in that moment so that they're not further pushing down their emotions. They're actually processing in real time. And then when we're finished working together, 
like one of my favorite clients that I worked with was someone who couldn't drive her car anymore. She was catching taxis everywhere. She was having panic attacks every day. It was affecting her as a mother. It was affecting her work. It was affecting absolutely everything in her life. And she basically said to me, like, I don't think that I can keep going like this. And we did some coaching and breathwork sessions. And after her first breathwork session, she was like, I think I, it feels like I can see clearly for the first time in my whole life. I feel like I can actually see outside of myself, like the sun pouring in my window. Like it just, everything looks clearer and more beautiful than it was before. And for me, that was such a touching moment for someone who felt so suffocated by her mental health at that point to be able to open her eyes and feel like it was a renewed view of life and a renewed perspective. And she drives to work every day now. She doesn't have panic attacks anymore. She hasn't experienced a panic attack in seven months. And that's due to her just realizing that she actually has control over these things. But we also put tools in place so that she was able to use somatic experiencing, um, changing the way in which she ate and her diet as well was really big help part in that. But it was just incredible to me to see how quickly someone's life can change when they have the tools that are going to make that a reality for them as well. And when they have the support that makes it a reality for them as well. So apart from just your own experiences, you have a lot of also training in different areas, which I find very admirable because as much as I think that a lot of people with just their experience can help a lot of people, I do really value learning and science and professionals. So I thought that we could kind of use you and ask you to explain the science behind breath work, how it influences our body, not only through, like you said, coming home and feeling with our mind that it's okay, but also how our body reacts to these different practices and techniques? Yeah, so this is a difficult question because there are a lot of studies done on different types of breath, like pranayama, breathwork, yogic breathing, those types of things. Um, there are not a lot of studies done on the type of breathwork that I practice, which is conscious connected breathwork. So for anyone listening, you take two breaths in and one breath out. So you are taking in more oxygen than you are releasing in CO2. Um, there's many theories on what's going on in the brain. And one theory is that we, when we breathe in this pattern, when we hyperoxygenate our body, we release a small amount of DMT, which is dimethyltryptamine into our body. And so for anyone, again, it's a psychedelic that is naturally occurring in our brain. Um, it's what is thought to kind of be the catalyst um, of near-death experiences or that when we die that we release DMT into our body. So for many people who have an experience with conscious connected breath work, you can almost have an out-of-body experience. You can have a very kind of psychedelic experience. You can have a very physical experience. It's very varying. Um, but something like that kind of makes sense because you almost 
uh, in this rhythmic way of breathing that kind of removes your ego and removes your critical thought processing um, to the point where you just feel completely relaxed and you're just kind of traversing the fields of your brain. So that's one theory. Um, Another theory is that when we breathe in a certain pattern, the two breaths in, one breath out for an extended period of time, it turns off a part of your brain that is the critical thought processing and you start producing theta brainwaves, which is very strong in meditation. Um, so if you ever felt completely zen or completely relaxed, then that is what we feel at the end of breath work. And so when for me, when I started breathwork, I'd tried mindful meditation before and I was always so fidgety. I'd get so frustrated at myself. I hated it. And I didn't realize that A, I had trauma that I hadn't processed properly. So being still didn't feel safe for me. And that's the reality for many, many people is that when they're sitting still, your brain's like, don't do this. It's not safe for you to be still. So mindful meditation is great when you have processed a lot of your your shit that's happened in your past. But if you haven't gotten to that point, when you do breath work, you have something to hold on to. Like you're allowed to think while you're breathing. You're you're breathing really hard for 30 minutes. Like you're going for it that whole time. And the whole time you're thinking like, what am I doing? Is this weird? Like, and then you're bringing yourself back into your breath and you're like, okay, belly, chest and exhale. Like it's all going on at the same time. There's so much going on that when you stop and you've hyper-oxygenated your body, it is just the complete Zen state that you find yourself in. And so for many people, that's the first time that they've been completely still in a long time. That's the first time that their brain has just been nice and silent for them to actually just take in a nice deep breath. And so I wish I had a better, more scientific answer for your No, it is is scientific. It's it's been more than enough. Um, I personally didn't know about, you know, all these ways and those natural psychedelics occurring in our brain. I think it is very interesting and helpful because I think those terms like breathwork and those different practices that are um, less traditional in the sense of, of medicine, but more traditional when you look back. But we often don't really understand them and people say like breath work changed my life and I from my point of view at least I feel like sometimes I lack the explanation how mm-hmm. and you provided us with that and I think that is very very helpful sometimes we get really caught up in the how of things like I love science I if I could have a if I could have a scientific reason for everything then I would love that because it it gives me a lot of pleasure to see how people have come to that conclusion but sometimes what I've realized is like when we let go of the how something has happened like how breathwork might have changed someone's life it's much more powerful to just like accept that it can be a life-changing thing. And it means that so many more opportunities open up because we can't explain everything. And as humans, we have evolved and our technology has evolved so much that now we have fMRIs and we're able to brain scan people and we're able to do these amazing things, but we still don't 
know everything about our brain. Our brain is largely a kind of um, frontier that we don't have all of the information about. And so it's hard sometimes to, I like I said, like I want to give a scientific explanation, but like all I have are theories and all I have are feelings of what I've gone experienced and what other people have experienced as well. So sometimes I feel like as humans we get, and I do this more more so as well. Like I get caught up in the how, and I forget about that it's an actual experience that we can just do and see for ourselves. Um, at any given point in time, just to know, because when we let go of that, we actually move into a state of doing and just being instead of figuring out like, like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Those types of things. And I think sometimes that's a really beautiful space to operate in as well. Yeah. Sometimes figuring it out, the how can lead to non-action. And as much um, as I am just a science enthusiast, I just, I, I guess it comes from the fact in me that I have been exposed to a lot of bullshit and it has hurt me in the past. And now making sure that I know what to do and how to do, because it's science, it's truth, it is helpful but I guess it sometimes may just come from the fact that it's I kind of have this trauma from the past and that's maybe why I crave the why and um, because I don't want to have that happen to me again and maybe you know I'm just over um searching always uh, the why and the stuff but I I like the curiosity in me, to be honest. I feel this is like one of my favorite qualities. Um, I also wanted to ask you, because you talked about how you helped your client with um, the woman who wasn't able to drive her car and had a lot of anxiety and stress mm -hmm. around that. And you've helped her with also diet. And I know that you also studied the gut brain connection and I think that is so interesting how what is happening in our gut can influence our well-being our thought patterns our energy and availability so can you explain what is happening in you know between our brain and our gut and how also can we make that connection healthier and more beneficial to us for sure it's um It's a big topic to traverse and it's, we have recently, and as human beings, like I said, we've advanced to a point now where we're starting to understand how our body actually works and functions. And they now call the gut the second brain because not only is it receiving information from the brain, but it's also sending information to the brain. And uh, a lot of our neurotransmitters such as serotonin, dopamine, GABA, are created in our gut. So 95% of our serotonin is created in our gut. And for anyone listening, serotonin is our what I will call a happy chemical. It helps us with love and connection. It helps us with sense of well-being, sense of self. Um, general joy and happiness is generally tied to serotonin. And it's why when you're depressed, you might get um, prescribed an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor to increase serotonin in your body. So 
Our gut is a primary producer of many, many neurotransmitters, um, but it also is a producer of things like butyrate, which are part of our energy system. So if you are feeling brain fog or if you're feeling um, lethargic or tired or if you're having trouble sleeping, then nine times out of 10, it's due to an imbalance in our gut um, microbiome. So it's really easy to see how this has happened over the past 50 to 70 years with the industrialization of food and how we've moved really far away from traditional ways of eating food. And we have so many chemicals and processed items in our pantries, in our fridges, um, and we're exposed to a lot more chemicals as well, just on a day-to-day basis. Like even looking around in my room, like there's candles, there's lots of different things that emit scents or chemicals, and these all impact how our gut operates. Um, Stress is another huge thing. Stress has a really, really big impact on how our gut, um, how well we're working in our body, like how much synergy we have within our mind and our body. And so to me, our gut is kind of the epicenter that is like the pulse of our uh, health and well-being. If you are someone like me who was eating McDonald's and drinking chocolate milk every night and then crying myself to sleep, that small change in starting to eat something slightly more nutritious for myself had a huge impact on my energy and then a huge impact on my emotions and well-being because for me, it, a lot of the time it was feeling like I didn't have the energy to actually do the things that I needed to do that I knew were going to help my mental health. Another way that our gut and brain communicate is through something called the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that runs from the base of our um, brain all the way down through our gut. And it's the longest nerve in our body and it's called the wandering nerve. So it basically sends messages to your brain about how your gut is doing, how your organs are doing. So it will regulate things like your heartbeat. And it's basically the parasympathetic nervous system. So that is our rest and digest phase. If our vagal tone is really low, when something happens outside of us, so I don't know, you stubbed your toe or your car wouldn't start, this a, a challenge happened, then we kick over into a fight or fight state really, really easily because we don't feel like we're actually equipped to be able to deal with these things. And that is in, that is impacted by our gut health as well. So when you're eating well and you're sleeping well, and these are things that you can do really easily, and by eating well I mean like reducing sugar, reducing processed foods, um, less carbonated kind of fizzy soft drinks, those types of things, and moving more towards a, let's call it a whole foods diet that you're just eating a little bit more um, like apples or whatever, fruits, vegetables, those types of things, making sure that we're moving away from those types of things and prioritizing sleep those two things will do wonders for your gut health. And I think sometimes we get into this mindset where things are really big and hard and we have to do all these difficult things for our gut health, for our mental health. But at its foundations, if you can get regular sleep, if you can eat correctly or correctly for your body because everyone's going to be different, if you can exercise, if you get sunlight every day, then you're like, 
80% of the way there to being living a fulfilling lifestyle. And so it's, I think sometimes we, we make it out to be this big thing that you have to do all these big, massive, difficult things. But the reality is like what we have in our control is how we behave, what we actually do, the boundaries that we set with ourselves, um, all of those types of things we actually have control over and they can start to change like right now if you make that decision to do that. And the more that you make the decision to back yourself and invest in your body and your mind, the more you will see yourself flourish in the end as well. So if you are someone who experiences brain fog, anxiety, mental health issues, uh, bloating, any of those kind of symptoms that we just see as normal, then it's likely that you have something going on in your gut and that can be really, really easy to change by doing a few simple dietary changes as well as taking probiotics and things like that that will really help that. Um, So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. I went off a little there. (laughs) No, it's great. Um, What helped me personally imagine and picture better what is going on within me is uh, that we have more beings in our gut than you know there are humans on the planet and many many more times and we contain multitudes in the sense that you know there are thousands and millions and billions of creatures that live within our bodies and they are our little helpers and we have to feed them in order to, you know, have a healthy gut and have all of the th- these things that you talked about work. And I think when we say, you know, I need to start eating healthier, we usually think about, I want to be skinnier or I want to, I don't know, be able to sleep less and work more. And we forget about these things, about eating healthier in the sense of, making sure that our organs, our gut, and our all of these different systems work because it's all interconnected. If you don't take care of your gut, your home, hormones are imbalanced. And when you have, you know, IBS, for example, then, right, your hormones also will not be working. So I think this is all the interconnectedness of our bodies. It is all so interesting for me. And... I think it also can be a bit confusing for a lot of people who didn't, who don't know and who didn't study this at school. So also, you know, as a nutritionist, what would be your advice who's someone who is keen on improving their health, but is completely new to making healthy meals and doesn't know how to nourish that microbiome? And, you know, maybe you could just, I know it's hard to say pick, you know, one, but if let's say I'm confused and I don't know how should I eat what would be in your advice uh, what would be your advice um to like start when it comes to nutrition to improve uh, that gut health that is a yeah it's a good question I I just want to make clear I'm not a nutritionist I'm I'm a health and nutrition coach as well as the anxiety coach so okay I um any advice that I give is purely like a a general of general nature. And it is something that through my experience of studying health and nutrition coaching, for me, the only advice that I really want people to understand is that 
you all you have to do is keep it simple all you have to do is start really small because like you said when someone makes a decision to say overhaul their aesthetics like oh I want to I want to heal my gut because it's going to help me lose weight the outcome is tied to this one thing whereas if you're saying that I want to heal my gut so I feel better you're you can actually feel differently as you're eating different foods and everyone's microbiome everyone's way of eating is going to be completely different for me I generally follow a ketogenic and carnivore diet but for the next person that might not be the best diet for them to (laughs) yeah I am vegan so you know it's like absolutely complete opposites (laughs) exactly yeah I I um I was a vegan for quite a few years. I was vegetarian for about seven years, um, and I've never felt worse in my whole life than I did through that time. And I've never felt better now that I've gone completely the other way. But for me, I think the biggest thing was why I found it so much easier to eat in this way, especially carnivore, is that it took out the decision making that I needed to make like when it came to food and that simplicity of like, I know what I'm going to eat for dinner. I know what I'm going to eat for lunch. I know what I'm going to eat because it's generally the same thing. And it's generally a very, very simple thing that I can just whack on the stove and it's done in five minutes. That took out so much pressure of having to like meal prep and do all these things that are very much the status quo at the moment, because we see people on Instagram or we see people like Fitspo type of things where people are like got their containers out and they're doing all of this cooking on the weekend. <laughs> and that is overwhelming if you are someone who is struggling to even begin. So my, my encouragement to someone is to choose the food that makes you feel better than the alternative, right? And that's very, very broad, but that means that you're treating your life as a science experiment. And this is what I encourage everybody to do. You are the mad scientist and this is an N equal one experiment and it's your whole life that you're experimenting. You get to try and taste and put on and take off every bit of clothes, every bit of food, every person that comes into your life, you are the scientist and you get to experiment to see what works and what doesn't work for you. And don't let anyone tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing in your life because you get to test it out and actually know for yourself whether that works for you. So I encourage people to invoke a little bit of curiosity when it comes to these things and to not always take in so much information from outside sources and to listen to what is going on internally. So keeping things super simple will allow you to go, this works or this doesn't work for me. So if maybe for your week you're going, okay, well, I'm going to swap this packet of chips for this apple and then assess how I'm feeling at the end of it, then you get to decide whether that works for you or not, like not anyone else outside of you. But you have to be curious enough to see and to try those things to keep it nice and simple so that there's not too many different inputs to your experiment. So at the end of it, you're like, oh, was it the apple or the orange that made me feel better? It's just like the apple that you can figure out whether it's going to work or not. So I think that is my advice to people is to keep it super simple, to yeah. do minimal okay. research about it from the outside. Otherwise it gets really, really overwhelming and to mute accounts that make you feel bad as well. 
Yeah, exactly. And accept that you will have a completely different experience um, than other people. Like, right, for you, you know, a carnivore diet is a great thing. For me, a vegan diet is a great thing. And it's okay that we have different things that work for our bodies and accept we should accept the fact that we have different needs and not feel like the person on all right on the instagram is the one and only uh holy nowhere of the one way to eat better i guess um So I want to shift a bit from anxiety and nutrition for a tiny second and ask you about something that I've heard that you've been uh, quite vocal about, which uh, is being assertive. So I do really like the approach of setting boundaries, um, but I want to ask on your uh, about your take on it. So why do you think, you know, learning to say no is so important and what that has to do with our mental well-being yeah so boundaries are again a huge topic and they're very multi-leveled and multifaceted but to me boundaries are the the protective force field that we have around ourselves They are what keeps us safe at all different times of our life and That is safe from ourselves when we want to do silly things because we have a boundary in place that will stop us to hopefully a physical boundary in place that might stop us from getting into trouble or a mental boundary in place. But we also are able to create boundaries that allow us to keep space between us and other people. And so why this is important when it comes to mental health is that We can either be so far apart from people that we feel really disengaged and not really understanding who they are and what they want from us, or we can be really, really on top of people and enmeshed in their lives and it gets really messy. So if you've ever been in a relationship with someone before and it literally like you know everything about that person, you have literally no boundaries, maybe someone's on the toilet next to you and you you hate that but you're letting them do it anyways and like there's you just get entangled in people's lives. And I see this time and time again, and it's happened to me as well in relationships where you take on someone else, right? So what I like is all of their likes. I don't know who I am anymore. And so when you have boundaries and it's deeper than just saying no, but it's it's having that healthy communication to say exactly what you want and don't want in this world, but also having an open line of communication to say like, this is what I like. How about you? Does this work for you? And when you think about every relationship that has ever failed in this world, it is purely because there's been a breakdown in communication. If someone has gone out to cheat on someone else, then they haven't communicated their desires. They haven't communicated their change in what they need. Their emotional needs are not being met in some way. If someone has become completely withdrawn because of whatever reason, It's because of a lack of communication that they're not able to connect to their partner anymore. Everything comes back down to having healthy communications, not just in romantic relationships, but within 
careers, in, in families, in friendships, in everything that we do, how we communicate with our animals, whatever it is. Like if there's healthy like communication, then you can feel so much safer because you're putting out that force field of who you are and how to be treated by other people and if you have like holes in your force field then people get through to you and it's going to hurt when someone like says something mean to you or it's going to you're going to say yes to things that you don't necessarily want to say yes to and when you do that when you allow people to come over your boundaries to step over your boundaries you erode your identity and who you are. And so all our ego is in place to do is to protect our identity. But sometimes if we don't have boundaries in place, our ego wants to use that as a way to please other people and protect our identities. So we have to create these really strong boundaries around us because otherwise we end up being, um, we end up creating relationships, connections, our emotions get toyed with really, really easily. And I, like I said, thinking of your boundaries as a healthy communication, but the force field around you that protects you. And that is only going to be beneficial for your mental health and for all of your relationships in your life. And to really ask yourself, like, what do I want out of this relationship? How much time do I want to spend with this person? How much space do I need from this person? How much energy am I willing to give? These are how you determine your boundaries for people. So if someone in your life is feeling really, really difficult and heavy, then asking yourself, like, can I only spend five minutes with them? How much space do I need from them? How much energy am I actually willing to give to this person? And then you will be able to see like, what your actual boundary looks like. And then you can express that to the other person. So healthy communication, telling them what you want. And it gives them an opportunity to say like, yeah, okay. Or no, I don't want to do that. And so then you get to make a decision based on that, whether you want someone in your life or not, but boundaries are the very foundation that keep us safe. They keep us alive. They protect our identity. They give us the ability to show up as who we are and what we want to say in this world and see ourselves as valuable. And without them, it's really, really easy to see how things can descend into chaos and people-pleasing tendencies and perfectionist tendencies pop up when we don't have boundaries in place as well. So that was a very, very long-winded response <laughs> to your question. No, no, I love that. Um, I think it's so important. And in all of the, like, like you said, in all of these different areas of our lives, setting saying no and being a minimalist a essentialist depends on what you like to call it just making sure that you focus your attention only on the things that are important to you and not spending too much on your energy on the things that don't serve you in all areas of your life it helps you know you can write called minimalism and live with less items or make sure that you work on the only on the relationships that serve you those are different things and different approaches but i think these days this movement to make sure that i only spend my energy on the things that benefit me and not on the things that destroy me is becoming more and more apparent in different things that people talk about in the wellness community and health in the health community like you said you know you with your nutrition you said make sure it's simple 
and make sure you don't spend your time and energy on the things that don't serve you. So I think it all comes in the nice circle and we can tie it up nicely here with a beautiful little bow. And yeah, I want to thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure and so much fun and so informative and inspiring. So thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, thank you, Julia. It's been an absolute honor to be able to chat to you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super happy with being able to share so much knowledge and information with you as well. Before we go our separate ways, would you like to plug anything that you do or share a quote or ask something of the listeners to do? Um, what would be your final thoughts? If anyone wants to have a chat, if anyone needs any support with anxiety, then definitely come over to Instagram where I primarily hang out at Anna, the anxiety coach on Instagram. Um, But my favorite quote to leave you with is nothing changes if nothing changes. So be the change that you want to see in your own life. Um, And I think that's something that I'm really like crashing on at the moment because I think it's so true that we are absolutely the catalyst. And when you create change, you see massive, massive results. So be the change that you want to see in your own life. Yeah, and definitely go check out Anna's podcast. It is called The Anxiety Girl. And there are so many inspiring and beautiful conversations there too. So go check that out after you listen. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. So hello again. Long time no hear. Oh, I sometimes wonder if you get annoyed by listening to my voice so much because I often do, to be honest. Maybe I should try speaking at a lower pitch. I mean, like, hello, is that... Actually, that's more annoying. Okay, never mind. Um, This discussion was just so interesting and informative. So thanks again to Anna and definitely go check her out, her Instagram and her podcast. And now it is time for what you've all been waiting for, which of course is me giving my two cents worth in a segment deceivingly called Insights of the Week. And I want to keep my insight short this week and just share one of my current struggles because I do struggle with things too. I'm not perfect. And I just recently realized that I do not talk about the things that I fail at enough on this show. So, you know, for example, recently I've been struggling um, with, among any other things, with being a good, how should I put it, a partner in a relationship. And now I don't mean romantic relationships or although those two kind of, but also just overall friendships and relationships with family and just all of the people I spend time with. So let me explain why I feel this way. And um, I think like a couple of months ago, I read the book called The Motivation Myth and I wanted to use some of uh, the quotes in one of the podcast episodes. So I decided to read a summary of the book because I couldn't be bothered to find the whole PDF again. And in that summary, I came upon something which was like a recipe for a good relationship, which I don't know, maybe I missed it when I read the book or 
maybe it was like the author of the summary who decided to share it. Anyway, um, let me read what uh, this recipe said. Um, so it was called, to be exact, a process for building better relationships. And this process, the steps of this process are, one, don't talk a lot. Two, don't blame. Three, don't try to impress. Four, don't interrupt. Five, don't control. Six, don't preach. Seven, don't dwell on the past. So when I read it, I was terrified because to some point, I think I do most of the things mentioned. Uh, so I just felt so bad. Um, okay, let's go through them again. So one, um, don't talk a lot. I do talk a lot. I mean, you're listening to my podcast, for God's sake, um, which, you know, this podcast is a result of my love for talking. So it's it's, I mean, it's kind of no surprise that I do like talking with my friends. Um, okay, the second one was don't blame. Um, well, I wouldn't say I blame per se, but I mean, when someone is like notoriously late, I think I have been known to point out that I've been waiting for 30 minutes for someone. But is that blaming though you know what don't answer I kind of don't want to know um okay what was the third one the third one was don't try to impress um and as much as I would like to say that I don't find talking about my success nice and pleasant I think I would be a massive liar I mean, I know myself enough to say that I don't need uh, that external validation and I would do the things that I do regardless of right, these, this, this validation of my friends or the praise. However, I think it still feels nice to share about the things that are good in my life. Is that bad? Yeah, so again, I don't know if I'm consciously trying to impress someone. Um... But then if I think that, you know, I am a human person living on this earth, I am sure that to some point I am trying to do that. So the fourth one was don't interrupt. Um, well, I do think that I don't do that anymore because I really hate the kind of people who do that. And so I've been actively working on listening to the person I'm speaking with until they finish and, you know, then trying to speak. But damn, I mean, I cannot say that it is easy because sometimes you do end up speaking with people who, for example, talk about chips and vaccines and it takes really all of my willpower not to read them a file of my favorite scientific research, you know. Um, the other one was don't control. Um, what does it mean to control people? I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't try for people to do something for me. So I guess I, I can say I don't do that. So for once, I am not guilty of controlling people. I guess at least not consciously um the other one was don't preach and this one is hard because I really try not to be preachy even on this podcast 
and with my friends too because you know I have views as a vegan and environmentalist and it's very very easy to identify as these labels and also feel like you should help other people see the world as you do um but I am also working on not doing that um I I want for people to see me doing well and kind of be an example of doing and living like this um but I am trying not to be preachy so I might I think I might be preachy so again I might be failing at that but if I do I really don't mean to and sometimes it's just that my views are just so deeply rooted into me that I don't even see that I might be preachy so I don't know I'd have to ask my friends okay so the last one uh, was don't dwell on the past and again Shoot, I mean, I am just discovering so many bad things about myself here. Uh, but I think I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I cannot say that I don't dwell on the past because there are some people who kind of, I didn't have a good past with and I just decided to end the relationship with them. So kind of, it's, it's kind of dwelling on the past because I could move on and forget about what they did but I just decided to not spend my energy on these kind of people so in this way I don't dwell on the past but also I think I have been guilty of dwelling on not being invited to some places and I really don't want to be that kind of person but when I see them again I just kind of in the back of my head remember Oh my god, I feel so bad about all of these things. Really, like, the only thing I can say that I'm free of is that I'm not trying to control people. I don't know. Let me know on Instagram and via email if you also feel bad about these uh, questions and if you also are a, a bad person when it comes to relationships. I don't know. I feel so bad right now. And I just kind of... Um, reliving all of my failed relationships right now oh my god yeah so this has been me sharing my failures in the insight of the week segment i hope that you've found it somehow i don't know enjoyable relatable i don't know this has been kind of uncomfortable to me but i feel like i should do that more and step out of my comfort zone and be a little more vulnerable here so yeah maybe i should do um this kind of sharing of struggles more so thank you so much for listening to my confession i guess and for listening to this whole episode i really am grateful for each and every one of you and i really hope you are having a great day so thank you so much and i will speak to you in the next one is edited and produced by Julia Spohr. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the episode description or you can just search Being Better Podcast. If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one is just to tell your friends and your family about the show and tell them why you like it and why they might like it too. You can also share it on your social media platforms. 
Another way to support us is to write a review, rate and subscribe to the podcast because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I'll speak to you very, very soon.